Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. So when you study the life of Jesus and you study uh, the Gospels and you even uh, meditate and ponder Luke chapter 1, you'll realize that Jesus spent the first year of his earthly ministry. After he's baptized, he's going around. Uh, he spends the first year of his ministry basically revealing who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is God in flesh. And as a result of that, many people believed in him. So if you go, what, what did Jesus do the first year? Jesus was just being Jesus. He was loving. He was caring. He was giving. He was extending hope. Then you enter into the second year of Jesus's ministry, and you're going to see a shift there, if you will. In the second year of ministry, he starts to invest more in some of these young men that are following him, that believing him. He's investing in them to go deeper, to become his disciples. That's what we're going to read. So if I was capturing first year of Jesus's ministry, I would go first year equals inviting. Second year, investing. Okay. So that's where we're going to pick it up. And Luke, if you meditate and read and study the gospel of Luke, he focuses more on obeying the Lord, walking with the Lord, and legitimately becoming a disciple of Jesus. The gospel of Luke is more of a discipleship book. The gospel of John is more of an evangelistic book. So John writes, I've written all these things at the end so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing you'll have life in his name. Luke is writing saying, hey, know the Lord, walk with the Lord, obey the Lord, enjoy the Lord. Here in Luke chapter 5, uh, that's where we pick it up saying, hey, hey, I want you guys to go deeper with me. So I want to share with you five observations this morning out of Luke chapter 5, these first 11 verses, if you will, observations of what a disciple of Jesus Christ really looks like. Observations. Starting in verse 1. While the crowd was pressing around Jesus and listening to the word, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. He saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them, and they were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little away from the land. Jesus sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Now, follow this. Jesus... We read in Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set the captive free. Watch this. The scripture says after he read that passage out of Luke, he sat down. Here, he sits down in the boat. Rabbis of that day, when they talked, they sat down. They sat down. And so when you see this happening, it's like, man... This, that's the one right there with Shemekah, the authority of God, the power of God. The rabbi would always sit down uh, to teach. Now, let me make some observations. Number one, a disciple of Jesus will embrace God's word. That's what we see right out of the gate. Jesus got into the boat, sat down, and he began to teach. Many of the disciples were there. Peter is with Jesus. Now, 
Peter. He'll become Peter later on, but his name is still just being called Simon here. The name Simon, I would write this down. The name Simon means to listen. His name, this, this is what his name means. To listen, to hear, to respond, and to obey. Simon is the English of the word in Hebrew, Shema. Shema is Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Jews would quote this morning and night. Hear, O Israel, that the Lord your God is one, and you shall worship him with all your heart and with all your soul and strength. The name Simon literally means to hear, to listen, to respond, to obey. So what does he do? He basically says, Lord, you can use what I have. Here's my boat. I hear you. I'm listening to you. I will respond. A true disciple and follower of Jesus Christ will shema. They want to hear. They want to listen. They want to respond. And they want to obey what God's word has to say. So if that be the truth, then we must pose the question to ourselves and ask, do I, do I shema God's truth? Do I, is my life known as one who will shema God's word? Do I read it? Do I ponder it? Do I listen to it? Do I want to hear it? Do I respond to it? Do I obey it? See, the mark of a true, authentic disciple of Jesus Christ is he wants to read. He wants, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit of the Lord. A true disciple wants to hear, wants to listen, wants to receive, wants to respond, wants to obey what the word says. See, the Bible is not just another book. The Bible is God's living word. It is the rhema sayings of God, the living word of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The only thing we have to play offense with in this deceitful world that we live in, the, the word. So when we start to study it, we start to study about the glory of God and the character of God and the nature of God. True theology is all about God. Do I shema the word of God? Do I study the character and the nature and the glory and the person and the power of God? Hero Israel, hero cross Loganville, do you shema? And so when you start to dive into it, the shema will explain how you were created. The Shema will explain the word of God, the truth of God. If I dive into it to hear the word of God, it will explain what my purpose is for being on the planet. It will give me understanding and terminology and definition and principles of how to treat relationships and how to treat money and how to treat life in general. A true disciple, an authentic disciple, Luke, will embrace, will hunger and thirst for the word of God. All scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable 
It's God breathed. It will teach you what is right, what's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. Do I embrace the word of God? Here's the challenge. The challenge is to develop a love and a hunger and a desperation for God's word. And the quicker you can start that, the better off you're going to be. And if you don't have that working in your life right now, let me encourage you. Ask God. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a hunger for his word. I've made this statement multiple times over the years. But if you took the word of God out of my life, the study of God's word and the meditation of God's word and the memorization out of my life, if you took that away from me, that one thread, if it is yanked out of my garment, everything else falls apart. God, what do you have to say? Do you shema God's truth? The second observation I would make in this text here, and it gives it to us, is this, verse 7, or verse 4 through 7. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night. We caught nothing. I would highlight this, underscore this, memorize this. This is the phrase. But I will do as you say. Uh, Lord, we worked hard all night. I will do as you say. When they had done this, they caught such a great number of fish that their nets began to break so that they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help out. And they came and they filled both of the boats and they began to sink. Here's the principle. A true disciple of Jesus Christ will obey the Lord even when it doesn't make sense. I'm going to obey you even though this doesn't make any sense. We worked hard all night. We ain't got nothing to show for it. And if you ponder the text, you don't only look at what Peter did say, but you look at what Peter didn't say. He didn't make excuses. He didn't say, I'm tired. I'm taking it to the house. Maybe tomorrow. (sighs) You're a carpenter. What do you know about fishing? He didn't say that. He didn't say, Lord, you've been around this lake. You know the Sea of Galilee. The best fishing is at night. The sun is starting to beat down. It's too hot. Uh, We just washed our nets. I don't want to go through this again. He he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Jesus, look at all these people. There's too many people. There's too much noise. They've spooked the fish away. This is not a good time to do it. He He doesn't say that. Here's the six words that will change the game for you. Here's the six words that will change your life forever. I will... Do as you say. Lord, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. I will do as you say. Here is a fundamental principle thought. You will never, you can't use the word always and never, never, you will never regret Obeying the Lord. If you're like me, 
You look in your rearview mirror and things of the past, there is many things that I regret that I did. Many decisions and choices I made, I look back and go, I regret that. I have never looked back over these last 35 plus years and go, I regret surrendering to the Lord. I regret reading the word of God. I regret, regret trusting God. I, I regret obeying Jesus in that area. You will never regret obeying the Lord. So Simon, I hear, I'm listening. I understand, I will do as you say. So here's the question. Is my life marked by obedience to the Lord? Am I looking for the approval of others? Am I looking for the attention of others? Am I looking for all this earthly stuff? If people were to write a biographical sketch on your life, would they say, that one right there was committed to do as the Lord said? What would be the narrative? So a faithful servant and a faithful disciple that's walking with Jesus, let me give you three thoughts underneath this. One, they will leverage their resources and they will leverage and maximize everything God's given them for the glory of God. That person right there walks with Jesus. They maximize and leverage their resources for the glory of God. Peter, what do you got? I got a boat. You can use it. I'll make it available to you. So the question we must ponder is, what do I have that I could make available to the Lord that could be used by the Lord to reach other people with the gospel? What do I have? How do I maximize and leverage the resources that I have? So, so, so I, would, I would encourage you to ponder this. If we all, all rallied together and maximized and leveraged our resources for the glory of God, what would God do in this fellowship, in this community, in this county, in this state, in this nation? If, if the body of believers leveraged and rallied and maximized what God had given them. What would it look like? God goes, tithe. Live a life of radical generosity. Give away. Be known for giving, not taking. Barna Research makes this observation, Drew. He says only two in five professing Christians give at least 10% of their income annual income. That being said, only two out of five give away 10%, but it's distributed in a variety of ways for so many. Barna goes on to say that only 21% of Christians, only 21% of profession, professing Christians give 10% or more of their income to the local church. Is that not a crazy number right there, Kara? 10% 21% only, only tithe. 37% say their giving varies from month to month. At best, it's random. It's occasional. 25% say we don't give anything. But I read that and I think, 
What if every person, every family in this church committed to tithe for the next 100 days? What would it look like? Well, I tithe. Okay, the word tithe means one-tenth. So if you make 50,000, you're giving 5,000. If you make 100,000, you're giving 10,000. If you make 200,000, you're giving 20,000, right? Bring your tithe into the storehouse. Well, I don't bring all of it there. I give it to a variety of other ministries, but we do give. Do you tithe to the storehouse? What if we all, we, we, we all maximized our resources and became radical, regular, generous, consistent givers of whatever God has bestowed on us? What would happen? It was so good having this conversation with my daughter Hannah recently. She's like, I'm tithing. She goes, here's what I was thinking about doing. I said, what do you got? Well, I was thinking about giving 50% to the church and 50% to Benji's ministry. I said, okay, let's do the math on that. I was, dad was in a parachurch ministry for over 20 years. I always encourage people to tithe to their church they were involved in because the biblical principle is tithe to your local church. I said, now, I will tell you this. We give to Benji's ministry and multiple other things, but at least 10, if not about 14% goes to the church, and then we give on top of that to these other ministries. I said, if you went over to our friend Dean's restaurant called Huey Magoo's, and they, you ordered your grilled chicken salad, and they come back and tell you that uh, your total is 1025. You go, okay. And you looked at the person working there and said, hey, I've got a friend that works at Zaxby's. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll give y'all five, and I'm going to go down to Zaxby's and give them the other five. What, what do you think they would say? We, we try to manipulate Drew being obedient to God. And if we all just would stop and go, I will do as you say. That's what we're talking about here. A faithful servant will maximize and leverage their resources for the glory of God, but a faithful servant and disciple is trustworthy to the Lord. I was thinking like, man, God has entrusted each and every one of us with gifts and abilities and blessings. We've got time. We've got relationships. There's family. There's friends. There's all this stuff. What, if, what about if all of us just stopped and said, Lord, when it comes to what you've given me, I want to be trustworthy. I will do as you say. A true disciple of Jesus is a person of action. They're, they're people of action. They're not people of talk. They're people of walk. It's like, <laughs> Lord, here, here's what I know. I know that you know what you've blessed me with. I ain't got to tell you. Anything I've got comes from the Lord. There is strength in numbers, Steve. And when God's people are obedient and rally together, I think we would land in the place saying, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has in store for those that love him. I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything you can ask or think. It's like, yes. So an authentic disciple of Jesus embraces his word, but they do. They, uh, they'll, 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 they'll obey the Lord even when it doesn't make sense. That's what they do. Now check it out. Verses 8 and 9. Now they caught so many fish, nets break, boats began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, 
He fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me. I am a sinful man. For amazement has seized him and all of his compassion or companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. Here is a fundamental principle. A true disciple of Jesus is aware of their own sinfulness. There are so many things that we can give thanks for. Lord, thank you for my health. Lord, thank you for my family. Lord, thank there's so many things we can give thanks for. When is the last time you stopped and thanked God for being aware of how deceitful and corrupt and sinful your heart can be? Dallas, I'm pondering that this week as I study. And I'm sitting there going, Lord, it is a gift from you to be reminded of what I'm capable of doing when you're not calling the shots. I need to be reminded of how sinful and just jacked up my flesh patterns are. Peter basically responds to the Lord's presence and the Lord's power. And he goes, I don't deserve to be around you. I don't deserve what you just, what you just did. I know, I know how I am. I know how I've trusted me. Why would you bless me this way? And Peter's response to the goodness of God's grace and this miraculous, miraculous catch that had just happened was, Lord, I don't even deserve to be around you. What do I know about God's grace and God's mercy and God's love and his salvation and forgiveness? What do I know? God's grace will bring us to our knees so that we become humbled. Lord, I'll, I'll do whatever you say, even though it don't make sense. All right, cool. Cool. And then the Lord does the miraculous, and Peter goes, I don't deserve any of this. Do you know that entitlement and surrender can't go together? And we live in a culture of entitlement. The one thing I've learned over these last 35, 37 plus years of walking with the Lord is that when you truly surrender to Christ, and you start to grow and experience maturation and sanctification in your life, the Lord will go, so what about this ego part of you right here? What about this pride part of you right here? What about this arrogant part of you right here? Come on, Lou. He does it to us, don't he? He's like, hey, I got to clean this up right here. What about that thought life that you've got going on right here? What, what, what about this anger you've got going on right here. He goes, do you still see that there's some sinful stuff in your flesh patterns? I've redeemed you and I want to I wanna do an amazing work in you. So how do you respond? The, the psalmist responded in Psalm 139 where he says, hey, hey Lord, why don't you search me? Turn on your searchlight and search my heart. Expose anything inside of me that is vile and wicked. A true disciple of Jesus is aware of how sinful they can be. 
Jesus then looks at Simon and says, hey, uh, Simon, don't fear. Don't run. Don't dismiss me. And he makes this statement. From now on, from now on, you will be catching men. Here's the principle. A true disciple of Jesus Christ will witness to others. A true disciple of Jesus Christ will share their faith with other people. A true disciple of Jesus Christ wants to share Jesus with other people. You don't have to beg them. You don't have to manipulate them. You don't have to offer 14 classes of training for them. A true disciple of Jesus, a person that has met God, says, man, I, I, I got to share the goodness of the gospel with other people. And it's amazing to me that after this miraculous catch, he goes, all right, Simon, listen to me. We've got to shift. Hear me. Listen to me. Respond to me. Obey me. Your focus for now on will be on the hearts of people and not on bass and brim. Remember after Jesus is crucified and all this stuff goes down and the disciples are like, I guess it's over. He's gone. And Simon tells the boys, hey, I'm going back fishing. Jesus said, mm-hmm. Jesus shows up again at the Sea of Galilee, and he goes, uh, hey, 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 fellas, y'all caught anything? No, we ain't caught nothing. Oh, it's the Lord. Throw your nets on the other side. Instead of calling 153 fish, Jesus looks at Simon and says, Simon, Shema, listen here. Do you love me? More than fish? That's what he asked him. For now on, you'll be catching men and women. You'll be sharing the gospel with other people. Yes. Do you love me more than these? He wasn't pointing at the disciples. He was pointing at the fish. It's like, ah, went back to fishing for fish. And God wants me to fish for the heart's people. 50 days later, God will use him in such a powerful way that he'll proclaim on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 plus are going to be converted. Jesus was basically telling these guys, uh, y'all are fascinated with this amazing catch, right? I only did that to show you what I'm capable of doing and who I am, but don't miss it. Don't miss it. Here's the point. The focus is on Jesus, not on the disciple. The focus is on Jesus, not on Tim. The focus is on Jesus, not on Cindy. The focus is on Jesus, not on Steve. When we go out and we make ourselves available to the Lord, the focus is not on me. They worked all night, caught nothing, had nothing to show for it. All they did was do what he said. Go share the gospel. Where's the pressure? There's no pressure on me. Saving, listen, 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 listen. Saving people is not in my job description. Sharing Jesus is. Who can save? Jesus. Who can change a person's life? Jesus. You can share it. 
Man, I just feel like if that person got with you, man, they'd get it. You can fish as well as I can fish. A fisherman cannot control the outcome when they're fishing. Went fishing. Did you catch anything? Nah. So you cannot control the outcome. But you can be faithful to get in the boat. You can be faithful to go out in the water. You can be faithful to cast. I was faithful in doing all that, but you have to leave the results to God. You have to leave the results to God. You, you, you've got to leave the results to God. Fishing is unpredictable. I talk to guys all the time that love to fish, John Mark. And you know what? It's unpredictable. It requires patience. That's why I don't fish. It requires patience. Yeah, we sat out there for two hours. It was a blast. We didn't catch anything. I'm like, it was a blast for you. Finish that statement. But when we're fishing on assignment from the Lord, here's what I will tell you. You cannot see below the surface of what is happening in a person's heart. You can't. You can share, and we do not know if the seed of the gospel is taking root or not. We don't know. Barb, Sandy, you can pour seeds into your kids, and all of a sudden it's like, that one right there got it. <whistles> pour it in, pour it in, pour it in, and then all of a sudden one day they're like, Mama. I should have listened to you a long time ago when you were sharing Jesus' truth with me. I've shared the gospel with people. And 15 years later, hey, Cash, you, you remember when we met? I'm like, no. I met you 15 years ago at so-and-so place, and you shared the gospel with me. And you know what? I walked away that day. But two years ago, I surrendered my life to Christ, and I will always remember what you shared 15 years ago, which, which, which means you can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. When you throw the seed, you don't know what's going to happen with it. Have you shared the gospel where people responded? Yeah. Was it about you? No. It was the gospel. It wasn't Tim's news, it was Jesus' news, the good news. Have you shared the gospel where people rejected you? Yes. Did they reject you or Jesus? They rejected Jesus. When they received it, did they receive you or Jesus? They received Jesus. I'm just a mailman. I can't determine what you do with the mail once you pull it out of your mailbox. And that's, not my, that's not my assignment. Just share. Hey, hey Simon, let me tell you what you're going to be doing. You're going to be fishing for the hearts of men. Can you do it? Yeah. So my buddy Jimmy, he shows up here about four or five years ago, starts coming to church with us. I'm like coming out of whatever he was coming out of, trying to figure it out, make sense out of life, and starts coming in here. And I'm like, look at old Jimmy. He's back again this week, back again the next week, hands lifted, worshiping, Trying to figure it out. Jimmy takes a job with one of the guys in our church, our brother Ron. While he's working there, Jimmy meets a guy by the name of James. James had it rough. James had been out there for a long time. 
Jimmy's going to church. Jimmy is starting to believe that God can change somebody's life. And Jimmy says, hey, James, would you go to church with me, dude? And James basically says, I ain't been to church in over 35 years. I, 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 I ain't been to church. And Jimmy goes, James, won't you come to church with me? Come on, James. So Jimmy says, hey, man, you ain't going to believe it, but, but James coming to church today. Church was over. Jimmy's like, you ain't going to believe it. James was at church today. Next week. Hey, man. Oh, James came back to church today. Might miss a week, might miss two. Hey, oh, James came back to church today. That's cool. About five or six weeks ago, James, who had not been in church in over 35 years, who was brought to church to hear the gospel by Jimmy, has a massive heart attack. They transport James from Walton down to Piedmont, Atlanta, and he doesn't make it. He dies. And Jimmy's bawling his eyes out, man. James died. Jimmy, you know what you did? We don't know if that dude repented. We don't know if he cried out to Jesus. We don't know if he received salvation. But Jimmy, you were fishing, brother. You, you invited him, Jimmy. You, you invited him to come. When everybody else had given up on him, when everybody else had probably said, hey, man, 35 years, yeah, that dude ain't coming. You didn't stop. You invited him. And as a result, he heard the gospel. He heard about Jesus week after week after week. And did he stand before a holy God? Yes. Did he have to give an account? Yes. But Jimmy, you know you were obedient and fishing. What happened to his heart? I don't know. The spiritual one, we don't know. The earthly, the earthly heart blew up. What are we responsible for? Hey, man, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. Just share the gospel with that dude. Just share it. Every person in this room, every person watching online, every single one of us, we're trying to figure it out. We're still part of this progressive sanctification. God, Derek is still doing stuff in our lives every day. We're just in process. Last principle. This might be my favorite one. Verse 11 says, they left everything and followed Jesus. A true disciple will abandon it all to follow Christ. Hey, guys, for now, you're going to be catching Men, you're going to be fishing for the hearts of people. You're going to be introducing people to the gospel. They left their tackle. They left their truck. They left their boats. They left their nets. We're going to follow you, Jesus. We, 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 we're going to follow you. And you know what breaks my heart is that we live in a culture. We live in a culture where people profess but don't possess They've got enough wording inside of them. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But so many so-called Christians wants to live their lives just like the rest of the world. They want to live just like the rest of the world. Well, hey, man, it's all grace. You hear people say that, right? Do you believe it's grace, Tim? Absolutely. But the grace of God will never reduce the holiness of God. 
An accurate view of God's grace always magnifies how holy God is. It never reduces it and gives us licentiousness to sin and to live in the flesh. But some people don't want to give up their sinful ways. People get comfortable in their sin and they don't want to hear teaching. They don't want to hear preaching that confronts their sin. So they will just say, hey man, I just don't like it there. I'm going to go somewhere else. Why? Well, if I got gut level honest, they don't applaud me pacifying my flesh. They're calling out sin because God wants me to walk in a holy way. This dude we just listened to the other day was telling me that Jesus knows my heart and, and Jesus knows where I am, but Jesus loves me too much to let me stay there. And, and I just want to live my own way. I'm like, yeah. I mean, it breaks my heart, right? Because Jesus said, come and follow me, which means forsake, abandon that, and come follow me. Walk in the dust of my teachings, my sayings. Listen, hear, obey, respond. Even as John is out on the Isle of Patmos, he's writing to the seven churches, if you will. And the Holy Spirit said, John, write this. Write this to the church in Laodicea. Tell them that I would rather them be hot or rather them be cold, but because they're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit them out of my mouth. T tell them their partial commitment is not commitment. Tell them that their partial obedience is not obedience. Tell them to repent. Tell them to repent and get their lives right with the Lord. I want you hot. I know you do. I, I want you cold. And that teaching right there, hot or cold, does not mean lost or found. When you go back and look at Laodicea, it was a very wealthy city. And the waters that would come off the sea or come off, off the Hierapolis of these hot springs, by the time it got to the city of Laodicea, this cold water and this hot water coming from the springs was stale. And the reason it was stale is because Laodicea had one of the most faulty aqueduct systems in the known world. They had money, they had wealth, they had business, but something between them and the source was creating contamination. And we've got to look at anything that stands between us and the source that creates contamination. I would rather you be hot, but your spiritual aqueduct system has got so many flaws in it, and you're allowing things to hinder the flow. You're not obedient. Repent and clean it up. And when you study the Word of God, it's like they left everything. You know, they, they left it. To follow Jesus, to, to, to follow Jesus. So I'm constantly having to wrestle myself. Is there anything in my spiritual aqueduct system that hinders the Holy Spirit from being able to work in my life? Is there anything that's hindering intimacy? We talked about this, Rick, a few weeks ago that anything that interferes or becomes more of an affection in my life outside of Christ becomes an idol. And God goes, Do not, don't, don't have any idols. Don't have any idols. 
What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? I'm not able to read it. Is the Lord speaking to you right now? Yes, he is, because he loves you. Will you shema what the Spirit of the Lord is saying? Will you hear it? Will you listen to it? Will you respond to it? Will you obey it? What is God telling you? Let's obey.